The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good afternoon or evening, depending on your time zone, and welcome, everyone. This is Joe Schuldenrein, and I'm pleased to invite you to the sixth installment of our series, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. First, I'd like to extend my appreciation to those who tuned in last Wednesday's program on the earliest Americans. Comments were intriguing, to say the least, with many listeners echoing sort of a common refrain, specifically that they had no idea that humans arrived in the Americas as late as 15,000 years ago. There appears to me a more widespread acceptance by the listenership of the emergence of early people well over a million years before the present, but there remains at least somewhat of a disconnect when it comes to the New World and the time lapse between Old World origins and migrations and the relatively late discovery of the Western Hemisphere. The discussion on late megafaunal extinctions and specifically the possible link between the overkill of mammoths, mastodons, and the end of the Clovis culture was an especially hot topic. So I'd like to thank my earlier guests, David Meltzer and Vance Holliday, for updating us on the most recent research. At the same time, I'd like to encourage the listenership to keep the emails flowing, and please don't hesitate to call the station at 866-472-5788. That number again, 866 866- With today's topic, the Veterans Curation Project, VCP, we're turning our attention to the archaeology of today in capital letters, an archaeological focus, if you will, that merges archaeological and socioeconomic realities of the 21st century. This is a time when our country and the world are confronting circumstances not faced since the days of the Great Depression. We are stretching the investigative techniques of our age-old profession, to objectives that are contemporary and which, as you'll see, strip away the image of archaeology as an exercise in pure knowledge and esoteria. In this episode and in the next few programs, I'm hoping to acquaint you with what I would call the archaeology of relevance, specifically the application of the profession and many of its innovative techniques to issues that have clear social, political, and economic ramifications, not so much in theory as in practice. The last time this happened for archaeology on any scale approaching the present was during the Great Depression in the 1930s when Franklin Roosevelt initiated the New Deal. His programs such as the WPA and the Civilian Conservation Corps put millions of unemployed folks to work 
largely engaged in infrastructure improvement and expansion of public works programs. One of the upshots of these programs was an archaeological renaissance as a huge number of sites were excavated in the mid-continent and western U.S. Discoveries from these development-based excavation efforts eventually gave rise to the river basin surveys of the 1940s and larger dam and river improvement projects nationwide. The prehistoric sequences of many parts of this nation can trace their foundation to depressionary investigations. In the 1930s, a major component of the unemployed population was the veterans, the soldiers who had served their country in the Great War, World War I. In this week's issue of New York Magazine, the noted columnist Frank Rich draws an analogy between those dark days and the present economic crisis. He recounts a particularly telling anecdote, and I quote, in February 1931, World War I private Joseph T. Angelo of New Jersey went to the Capitol in Washington, D.C. to lobby the House Ways and Means Committee for early bonuses, deferred but allocated compensation that veterans had been promised by Congress. Angelo had been unemployed for over two years and had lost his home and everything he owned. That next year, with deferred bonuses still unpaid, tens of thousands of beleaguered veterans set upon Washington to demand their fair share. At that 1931 he hearing, the exchange between the veteran Angelo and various congressmen went this way. Congressman, what is your business? Veteran Angelo, nothing. I am nothing but a bum now. Congressman, you say you have not worked for two years. Angelo, I have not worked for a year and a half, but there is no work in my hometown. Congressman, Mr. Angelo, with your marvelous record of heroism and service to your country, I do not blame you in the least for feeling aggrieved. I do not think that you have been treated right. Angelo, I have not. I have not had a square deal. Congressman, you have a service certificate, have you not? Angelo, yes, sir. Congressman, how much does that call for? Angelo. $1,444 if I live 20 years, but I don't think I will see 20 years. Congressman, have you borrowed on it? Angelo, yes, sir, I have borrowed on it. By the time I've got it, I won't have nothing. Congressman, would you be able to borrow further on that certificate? Angelo, I can make money. I could go bootlegging, but what am I really doing? All I will say to you is help us through with this bonus. That is the best answer to you folks to give to your fellows at home. Don't forget me for a job. That is all I care for. Sign of the times, you think, as they say on National Public Radio, those times just back then? Well, not entirely, and not at all. The parallels to the present are, to say the least, curious, if not absolutely compelling. In 2009, the Obama administration instituted the American Recovery and Repatriation Act, the ERA, which was designed to jumpstart the economy by allocating funds to infrastructure improvements much like they did in the Great Depression. A portion of those funds were apportioned to archaeological projects that fell under the purview of Section 106 and Section 106 of the National uh, Historic Preservation Act. A separate funding allocation was directed to the Veterans Curation Project, an endeavor directed specifically to rehabilitate veterans by teaching them to curate artifact collections stored in standing facilities for decades. The goal is to provide vocational training and temporary employment to disabled veterans while simultaneously providing the Corps with a viable means to rehabilitate the archaeological collections to federal standards. It is my distinct privilege to introduce the key players in this venture, those who have conceived, facilitated, directed, and participated in the ongoing VCP effort. The key participants, of course, are the veterans who are performing the critical tasks that will result in the sorting and updating of long-forgotten artifact collections. 
Michael Sonny Trimble is the architect of the VCP. He is Chief of Curation and Archives Analysis at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, St. Louis District. Sonny received his Ph.D. in Anthropology from the University of Missouri-Columbia. His specialties include North American Archaeology, Archaeological Forensics Collections, and Archives Management and Geographic Information Systems. Our second guest, Lori Ott, was pivotal in initiating and extending the aims of the program by combining its objectives with an existing rehabilitation facility. She is president of the University Healthcare Foundation, a nonprofit organization for patient care in Augusta, Georgia. Ms. Ott received her MA in communications from Gonzaga University. She's the founding executive director of the CSRA Wounded Warrior Care Project, a community-based model for returning U.S. service members from Iraq and Afghanistan. Third guest, Kate McMahon, is the laboratory supervisor for the Veterans Curation Project. She is employed at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers St. Louis District and provides training and oversight for artifact rehabilitation for the three VCP labs. She completed her undergraduate work at the College of Worcester and has excavated extensively in the old and new worlds. Our fourth guest, Cody Gregory, is an information systems technician at John Milner Associates and works out of the VCP facility in St. Louis. Cody is an operation enduring freedom veteran who deployed to Afghanistan. He served in the U.S. Air Force from 2003 to 2008 as a mental health technician. Cody has worked as a Hurricane Katrina responder and has recently received an associate's degree in biology from St. Charles Community College. Thanks, you all, so much for being here. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe, for having me, Sonny, uh, let's start with you as you are basically the architect of the program. How did it start, and where did you get the idea of merging the issue of, uh, of veterans' rehabilitation with archaeological curation? Well, Joe, it's good to talk to you. Um, I got the idea actually from a, another guy. I was uh, sitting around... Uh, Spent almost three years over in Iraq uh, working on uh, mass grave uh, excavation in support of the uh, the trial of Saddam Hussein and Chemical Ali and the other top uh, 12 or 13 regime members. And we had a really great crew over there. And when I got back here, I mean, the, the tempo and the level of work over there, uh, uh, as you know, is uh, very high. Things go about 110 miles an hour every day. Then you come back to the United States and... Uh, uh, nobody's really talking about vets or the Army or the war or anything like that. And when we were out doing that work, the, the, the men and women of the, the armed forces uh, guarded us most of the time that we went out uh, into the field, and certainly all the time uh, when we were back uh, at the Army installation where we lived, um, you know, every single day that we weren't out in the field. Uh, so I really felt, and I think a lot of us felt, a real debt of gratitude to those men and women uh, really understood how hard they worked and the kind of sacrifices they were making with many, many, many deployments. And I was complaining about this one day to a friend of mine, and he essentially said, uh, in fact, I remember exactly what he said, you're a pretty smart guy, don't understand why you haven't figured this out. You're, you're head of curation, you're in charge of all the curation, all the artifacts, all the archaeological artifacts in the United States for the Corps of Engineers. So that's one need, you have to take care of those things. Uh, and then the other need is uh, a personal need. Uh, you want to do something to help the vets. And he said, why don't you combine them? And I pretty much hung up on him at that point because uh, I knew exactly what I wanted to do then. And, and the idea was came together pretty quickly, got our staff together. And the, the real simple idea is that we, we pay private contractors, which I know you've talked about in some of your shows and we'll talk about in the future, to do archaeology in the United States. That's how the business is set up right now. 
And so our idea was you have a lot of men and women coming back who don't have uh, relevant job skills, who are having also a hard time kind of reintegrating back into society. Uh, uh, could we not train them how to do the, the curation, which has about seven or eight real job skills that are portable, help them reintegrate into society, and pay them a salary at the same time, which would stabilize their their families. So uh, we had a very good team uh, put all this together, and um, then we decided we were going to do it in three cities, and that's that's the short version of it. And so the, uh, the program got started in three cities at the same time? No, we... Uh, you know, never done anything like this before. And when you're putting it together, uh, you know, in an office with four or five people that are really dedicated people, it sounds pretty easy. And then you you realize the logistics of it are, are pretty substantial. We had to buy equipment from scratch. We had to uh, you know, go out and select the cities that we thought would have a lot of vets that we could get uh, to uh, work with us uh, immediately. Um, and uh, we had to rent uh, these facilities and on and on and on and on and on. Um, because usually the people we hire to do this come with all the equipment, and they come, you know, the, the job is here, here are the artifacts. We hand them the artifacts, and they go out and use their own facilities and their own equipment and their own people to do the work. So we had to start this from scratch. Uh, and uh, I know Lori's going to talk a little about this later on, but a real – so what we did is we, we, we did it in waves. We, ha we opened uh, the first um, – um, we were going to open the first uh, facility here in St. Louis because that's uh, where we live and we knew we could assist it easiest here. But we got to working with Lori in Augusta, Georgia, and uh, she got things moving so fast and was so connected to the community, the, not only the veteran community but the, the general community, that we were able to go in there in a very short period, get set up, and get hooked up with the VA and a whole bunch of other people she knew, and get veterans in the door uh, okay. So we open there first. We're, we're going to have to cut for break, but when we get back, we'll get back into this discussion of the logistics, and we'll talk to Lori a little bit about how she set her situation up. We'll be back shortly. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacy Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacy's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's all about action. Scores. Taking a look at the NBA tonight. Highlights. He's broken loose. He's at the 30. And headlines. Big trade in the NFL this afternoon. When you are looking to talk sports, look no further than the Voice America Sports Network. We bring you some of the biggest names and all the sports news you can handle. Whether it's basketball. Off the glass. Football. Come on. Golf. Racing. Or the Olympics. We've got you covered. We'll even cover tailgating. Tune in to the Voice America Sports Network. It's all things sports. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. Joe Schildenrein back, uh, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. We were talking to uh, Project Architect Sonny Trimble about the initial development of the Veterans Curation Project and the uh, the design of the labs. I know, Lori, that you were pretty involved in the early phases of getting these labs taken to, uh, integrated and uh, bringing this program into your facility. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your facility and how you were able to bridge this connection with Sunny and to put this uh, project into use? Which we really think is the best vocational rehabilitation program for folks coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan and really does the best job bringing folks from combat to community and giving them the job skills they need. So we appreciate this opportunity here. Um, Dr. Trimble actually called me up out of the blue. My phone rang after we had been on um, national television, and he said, I've got this employment and training program. I haven't plugged it into the third city yet. I'd like to talk to you about bringing it to Augusta. And... The reason we'd been featured on this national news program was because of the active duty rehab unit, which is located in our VA medical center. Our VA is called the Charlie Norwood VA Medical Center, and we have the nation's only active duty rehab unit that's located within a VA facility. And for those folks who don't know, the Department of Defense and Veterans Affairs are two separate agencies, two separate organizations, and when you're active duty, you're on one side of the fence, and when you're a veteran and no longer active duty, you're on the other side. And in Augusta, these two entities, we have an Army hospital, Eisenhower Army Medical Center, and a VA that cooperate and collaborate and work together on this unit. So we have active duty personnel, soldiers, Marines, sailors, airmen, and Coast Guardsmen in our VA, in our Veterans Affairs Hospital. And it's the only unit like it in the United States of America. It's a model, and that's why we're featured on national TV. And... Um, we said basically that this should be replicated elsewhere, and this is an example for other communities to follow. And we work very collaboratively with not only the Army Hospital but this VA Medical Center. And our community um, has relationships with the folks who are coordinating care for these wounded, ill, and injured service members and veterans. And so Sonny called you up and, and basically said, look, I have this program, and I think this might be a pretty good fit. Well, he, he wasn't sure. He said, I just want to talk to you. Uh-huh. So I have that, he said, I have this program, and I'm looking for this third city. Can I, can I come talk to you? And I said, how's Thursday look? And, and <laughs> what was great was we were already having these collaborative meetings, bringing the Army, the VA, the Department of Labor, and community together. So we just plugged Sonny and his team into this roundtable, and and really that was the magical thing. That's that's why we were able to launch so quickly. Um, that's why we were able to launch first and not third, is because we had these relationships. You know, we knew the garrison commander at Fort Gordon. 
We knew the medical center director at the VA. We knew the Department of Labor folks who were working with veterans already who needed employment and training opportunities. So it was almost like it was like add water and you'll get a flower. For us, you know, Sonny was the water. Um, and he, he brought this tremendous program, and we brought the veterans. So you basically had some sort of a, a reasonably good infrastructure in place, and you were actually a very, very nice fit for this. Sonny, how did, how did the logistics of this work? Oh, it was pretty easy. Uh, we uh, took a couple of our staff people down and uh, met with Lori almost immediately. Uh, and, you know, the first thing was we got to find a place. So she uh, hooked us up with uh, a lot of people that showed us uh, every uh, – Every kind of you know semi-large uh, building that you could use or space possible. I think we ended up getting some over um, 2,500 square feet somewhere in there. We looked everywhere, um, but you know you you had to really think it through because a lot of these men and women you know don't have vehicles. Uh, we had to put everything uh, wherever we were going to set up in, in any of these cities. We had to think through a lot of these small things that nobody thinks about on a day-to-day basis because you you get in your car and you go somewhere. Uh, so we, we had to have this thing on a public transportation line, and all of our all of our labs are on a public transportation line. Um, I think that and getting hooked up with the vets and and the range of people that she could uh, get uh, you know us to interview with, and then also really drill into the VA who we were also starting to work with. Uh, I didn't know how you know I've never worked with a VA before. I don't know anything about the VA. I know more about it uh, probably than I, I want to at this point. But you know those kind of contacts are just key. Um, you know we brought all the technical expertise and all the all the archaeological materials it needed working on, but it's really difficult just to parachute down into a, any, you know, mid-level size city, much less a small city, without you know, people already on the ground to help you. So, What about the selection of veterans themselves? How did they hear about the program? How were they brought into it? Was there a recruitment policy? Was there advertising? How did that go? Um, you know, with Augusta... And Lori can correct me if I'm wrong. With Augusta, you know, she had these relationships with the, the VA. Uh, we, you know, worked with them. And she also had, uh, she worked with a whole bunch of wounded warrior people. And it's probably best for her to answer that. Where we had a whole roster of people that they kind of vetted. They already, uh, had worked with these, uh, men and women. Um, and so, you know, we were not health professionals or archaeologists. And I think the biggest thing that bothered us then and certainly right now is that we want people to have a reasonable chance to succeed and be able to take in all the information we're trying to teach. Uh, we don't want to put them in a stressful uh, situation. Uh, and, you know, you can do that very quickly with uh, individuals that have PTSD or traumatic brain injury or any any other uh, problems. And um, so... We needed someone that was a health professional or a group of health professionals to vet these these people, and and Lori had that system already set up. Lori, let me ask you something about uh, bridging the connection between archaeologists and the vets themselves. How did that work, and what was that kind of segue uh, all about, and the transition all about between uh, between the vets and the archaeologists, and how did they get together? Sure, and I just would add one thing. The other advantage we had is we have a warrior transition battalion, which is filled with Army soldiers who are going through the medical process of boarding out of the Army. So we had a a, um, a stock of 350 or 400 men and women who had already 
come back from Iraq or Afghanistan who were who knew they were no longer going to be soldiers. So we we really were chock full of potential candidates and did have this great relationship with the Department of Labor folks and the VA folks who um, had veterans who were who were ripe and who were looking. So it, it was a it was a good thing. In terms of bridging the gap between the archaeologists and the veterans themselves, I think Sonny would agree with me that this has been a learning process, and it's been as much about hiring the right lab managers and trainers as, as it has been getting the right veterans into the program. Um, and I venture to say that the veterans have taught the lab managers as, as much as the lab managers have taught the veterans themselves. Kate, let me bring you in here at this point. Uh, you're the lab manager. You're the person who comes from a pretty straightforward archaeological background, as far as I can see. How was that experience for you in terms of trying to integrate all these different systems and people into one cohesive entity? How did that work? I think Gloria is 100% right. I learned just as much from the veterans I was working with on a day-to-day -day basis as they were learning from me. It was definitely difficult in the first couple weeks to try and catch up on all of the knowledge about veterans' issues as well as information about the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, and the Marines to just keep up with the abbreviations and the acronyms <laughs> they were all using. But all that crunching and learning was definitely worth it with the results we're getting. And what was involved in the beginning? I mean, you had to set up the labs. You had to teach people some basic skills, how to identify artifacts, cataloging. How did that process go? And were the skills, were, were some basic skills, did you have some basic schooling and learning procedures in place so that, uh, that everybody could be up to speed on, on how you're eventually going to do the curation? We started out with a couple of job skills that we were hoping to train the veterans on, including things like how to use Microsoft Word and Excel. And as the program grew and blossomed over the last two years, we've added skills pretty much every term to what we want to teach the guys that are going through our program. One of the most recent skills we've added is resume building. Many of these people have only ever served in the military and not had a corporate position. So this is going to be their first time ever filling out a resume or writing a cover letter. So we've been teaching the lab management how to teach those skills as well as the regular everyday archaeological skills. And and that progressed pretty well. I mean, did it take quite a long time? You had to adjust to obviously various individuals, various post-traumatic post uh, uh syndrome situations that obviously required a certain amount of, of skill in terms of teaching and bringing people together and trying to, to match your teaching level with what people were capable of consuming, correct? Correct. It was very difficult at times, but we had wonderful support with people like Laureate as well as the local vet centers who came out and taught us about traumatic brain injury as well as post-traumatic stress and the Veterans Affairs, all of which taught us how to deal with individuals having more trouble learning as well as how to teach it in a different way that might assist them. What about the feedback between your program and the Veterans Administration? How did that work, Sonny? I think we had a, a pretty good relationship with them. I think, you know, it, 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 to be very honest about it, you know, some VAs in some cities are very open and are willing to uh, to work with you. Um, you know, some VAs are a little more territorial. I think we got mostly lucky. Um, 
uh, you know, we are doing, these are uh, their people. Uh, it, it is their customers. Uh, you don't look at the Army Corps of Engineers and think, oh, those are those people that take care of veterans. I mean, it's just, it's not, it is not our mission in any way, shape, or form. But I think, you know, in our minds, and, you know, that's all that matters as far as I'm concerned. It is, it is part of our job now. So I think mostly the VA was very good. They have a system. Uh, they were good at vetting. Uh, they have some of the skills that they try to teach guys. Uh, in Augusta in particular, we finally got them to the point where they would come out and, and teach a lot of things at the lab as opposed to in their offices. And I think getting them out of their own building, frankly, I think was uh, as much a good thing for them uh, as it was for the veterans. It's actually better for the veterans. You know, the, the VA is a is a VA-centric system, so you go to them. Uh, and I think the more the VA in the future can move to uh, uh, going to the community of uh, people that you're trying to serve, I think they'll be better off. But I think in general we did really, really well. A really we'll, good. Um, we'll be back you know. in a few minutes. We have to go to break. All right. Thank you. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're 
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, we're back. Joe Schuldenrein, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. We are talking about the Veterans Curation Project, and we are starting to get into some specifics about the skills that are required and the skills that are taught in the rehabilitation program and how that's done. I know that one of the items that one hears very often over the news is that uh, veterans do come back here and they find that their skill set simply cannot match what's necessary to function in the contemporary 21st century office world and uh, in, in terms of, of advancing into job acquisition, uh, this is, becomes a very difficult transition. Kate, can you give us a picture of how the skills that you're teaching the veterans uh, start to blossom and how they pick up on them and what they specifically are? Sure. Some of the skills that we teach the veterans include things like database management, so they can use that if they go on and do some sort of object tracking. They learn how to do digitization of records, so uh, document scanning. They learn how to do digital photography, which can be used in insurance claims or any other type of photography business. They learn both word processing as well as database entry and management as well as records management, and I believe each and every one of those skills has assisted one or more of our veterans in getting jobs after the program. So they're, they're getting an entire battery of skills, digital photography, resume building, word processing, records management. All these are the types of skills that will uh, ease them into the job market. Have you had veterans who are actually interested in pursuing careers or some kind of a job associated with archaeology or something like that, or is that uh, something that nobody's expressed? Obviously, Cody might be interested in that. Cody, are you uh, interested in archaeology you know- at all? Actually, Joe, in the time that I've been able to spend with the Veterans Restoration Program, I was actually able to learn that um, although I'm extremely interested in archaeology, it's not being an archaeologist that I am compelled to want to do. But because of the program, I've been able to learn about the multifaceted piece um, that is archaeology and learn that there are other things out there within archaeology that do interest me without having to just uh, be a shovel bum kind of guy. Aha, uh-huh. so you know a little bit about how the the profession works? Yes, I've been, I, I personally am very interested in geoarchaeology and just uh, things that have a lot more to do with uh, like physical components of like the earth itself and how that portrays into archaeology as well. Okay, uh, let me ask you a little bit about the successes and uh, the transition that actually occurs subsequent to being involved in the program. Is there a duration or training time that, that the veterans have to be in the program before they transition out? Is there anything like that, or, or is, it, uh, is it not formal in that sense? The term for each of the classes of veterans is six months, so they're offered up to six months of employment. And each of the veterans during that time will get initial training during the first two months. And after that, they'll pretty much have learned all the skills we're requiring throughout the program, and they'll begin working three hours a week on their resume and job searching while continuing to help rehabilitate the collections. 
and then at about the six-month mark, they will graduate from the program, hopefully to either an education program or employment. And what's the follow-up to all of this? We try and keep in touch with as many of the veterans who have an interest in staying in touch with us and figure out what they've been doing and what they learned from the program, what they liked, and what they'd like us to improve on. And hopefully with each class of veterans, we get a little bit better. So let's get into the numbers themselves. Have you been tracking uh, successes, job employment information, census information of any sort, follow-up to the success and, and how people have made had, have utilized the program to make that transition into the outside world? Since the foundation of the program in 2009, we've had 77 veterans employed with the VCP, and of those 77, we've had approximately 80% either go on to pursue education or to permanent employment, and we've had them hired out in a variety of places, including federal jobs at the Corps of Engineers, even on Sonny's team, Veterans Affairs, National Archives, and the Federal Housing Administration, as well as tons of corporate entities like Home Depot, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase. And are they actually going into uh, any kind of management positions or clerical positions, that sort of thing? Just about anything and everything. We've got guys interning at the Savannah River site as well as guys managing or guys going back for their graduate degrees right now. Interesting. So so this is a pretty successful program. We believe Seems so. Like. Cody, uh, I think one of the questions that a lot of people are probably thinking about is how the veteran transition uh, is made from a personal standpoint. Can you walk us through that experience, how you found out about it, what you were like when you came back uh, from your tour of duty, and how that worked for you? How did that transition work, and uh, how, how were your eyes opened, or how did you learn things uh, by being involved in the program itself? Well, just briefly, I'll just say that when you get out of the military, um, certain things are kind of portrayed to you and you think things are going to go a certain way. But then when you kind of take those next few steps in your life and you're actually out there on your own, you start to realize how much the military has truly done for you. Um, you'll you get to see how much of a family atmosphere the military is and what it can do for you. So then when you find yourself on the outside, uh, no longer in the military, you start to see the struggles that can come forth. And then with a the lack of support that um, isn't there from the military anymore, it can become very hard-pressed on people, um, especially with people that might have issues um, left from the war, like PTSD or TBI. Um, those kind of things can weigh on a person. And so me being a part of the Veterans Curation Program, I can honestly say that after my time there, it gave me a place where for six months I was able to work with similar people from similar backgrounds, i.e. the military, and able to work in a non-military atmosphere and learn how to get those job skills and that, that mindset of working out of the military and working in a civilian workplace again. And the Veteran Creation Project is a, was a program that allowed me to do that. I don't think it's anything that happens quickly. It takes a lot of takes time, and the amount of time that our program has devoted not only to the veterans, but also the right amount of time is in that six-month period to make these positive things happen for these recently separated veterans. 
And so, so you found basically a, a social niche as well. In other words, you were starting to integrate both professionally and establishing sort of a, a little unit for yourself as you were working and, and cooperating with both uh, your fellow veterans and the folks who were working with you in the laboratory, correct? Absolutely. When you first get out, especially I'm not from the area that I'm working in now, um, it sometimes becomes hard-pressed on a person when you originally get out of the military and you find yourself feeling differently than you did before you joined the military or even in the time when you were in the military, and that can affect your, um, your interpersonal relationships with people um, in your own physical life and at the workplace. And then the, the Veterans Creation Program allowed for me to be able to meet other people and, once again, to help integrate back into that civilian workplace. So there's a really nice commonality and that kind of eases and bridges a transition between military life and, and civilian life and, and you can make this connection pretty nicely and the, the transition is good. Um, do you look back at your military experience any differently now that you've done this? Has it given you a lot in retrospect? I think working with other people who have separated from the military and hearing their, um, hearing their experiences from a third-party kind of side point, that gives me a better idea of what I believe the military has done because I have my experiences, and that's all through my own personal filter. But after having been in this program and getting to hear it from different people, there's a few things that I kind of feel um, I might uh, I feel now were reinforced by hearing that from other people, and there's a few things that I think I might have a different idea about after having talked to some of these people. Uh huh. So, in, in so there's to the military itself. So there's both sides of the coin, in other words, really that you that a- you're looking absolutely at here. Just. Right. Absolutely. And, and you're. Part, yeah. I'm sorry. Go positive. ahead. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say I want to uh, say for the most part it's always positive too. Um, I think it's positive that um, I once again can have another veteran who's looking out for my best interests, and I think having that kind of mentality working and working for each other in the program helps everyone. So that, that you, you can really, and, and you've probably bonded with, with a lot of the veterans themselves as you've been in, involved in this program, correct? Absolutely. I still have many um, ties, I would say, as people have left and even moved out of state. There's people that we like to keep in contact with. And you do, you, you do get that sense of a bond, Joe, um, of working with these guys, and you want to know what's going on with them because you have that connection. And it persists. That that's that's re- and and I think probably just that collective uh, operation that you're working within the lab probably brings you together as well as uh, you know being able to talk and reflect about your experience back there. So uh, it it seems like this is a reinforcing situation all around, and that uh, it it sets you up pretty nicely for reintegrating into the workforce down the road. Um, we'll be back in about. Th- 35 seconds or 40 seconds, um, and uh, we'll get back into some additional details on the workings of the VCP program and its implications for the future when we come back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra goarc.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Joe Schuldenrein uh, with. Our program, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, we are talking about the Veterans Curation Program, and we were just discussing the adjustments that are made by veterans reintegrating into society and the benefits that the curation program offers as a transitional mechanism to getting back into the civilian world. Uh, Lori, from the greater perspective, Cody gave us his personal perspective, but you've been involved in these programs for a long time. How do you see that the uh, VCP program in particular has contributed to the rehabilitation efforts in the long term? Well, I just don't know of another program that's done more for veterans and transitioning service members in a shorter period of time. It's just the most effective way to get our men and women in uniform transitioned back to community from combat. It gives them confidence and the job skills um, that they need in a supportive environment to be successful when they come home. It's, I don't know how to put it any more simply. Um, that I've, you know, met, seen, uh, from my own perspective, seen with my own eyes, taken members of Congress and senators into the Veterans Curation Project. They've seen it with their own eyes. And to meet someone who, at the beginning of the program, goes out the back door when a stranger comes in um, because they don't want to be around strangers because they don't trust them, to, to watch, you know, at the end of the six-month program, um, someone who can actually stand and hold a conversation and uh, impress a member of Congress because they can make eye contact and, and can hand over a resume and a portfolio and demonstrate everything from the document scanning to the, photo- to the digital photography to the forensic work, all of it, um, is just really, it's life transforming. It's transformative. And, Sonny, let me ask you just for the long view. You started this program when, in 2009? 2009, yes. 
Okay, so here you are two years down the road. Where do you see it? How does it look at this point? What are the major achievements? Where do you see the major benefits? Where do you see some difficulties in the program just generally so we can get a picture on this? Well, I think uh, the major achievements, Lord, just summarized. We we took a program that was essentially a, a bunch of job skills, and I think we've really it's turned into a 50-50 uh, a program now where I think we're helping, as, as Cody just pointed out, we're helping these men and women uh, personally, uh, you know, readjust to society uh, as much as we're teaching them job skills, which I think is a lot better than just you know, trying to cram a bunch of job skills down somebody's throat. So for me, I don't think it could be any better. We also, as Kate pointed out, we, we changed the program uh, in relation to what the, the vets ask us uh, to do. Now, what's the future? Uh, the future, uh, like uh, many things in this country right now, is, is pretty grim. Uh, we are working on uh, some very uh, thin, thin ice in terms of, of the resources that we have. Uh, we had a, a chance last year. There was actually a bill introduced. Uh, it passed the House. Uh, it did not make it in the Senate, and it would have given us $35 million for the next five years. So we, you know, we definitely could use some help uh, down the road. There's no question about it. Yeah, um, let me, I want to say that a little bit more pointedly. Uh, you know, sure. I, what I want to say about that is this: is you know, we as Americans can spend a lot of money um, addressing the mental health issues, the behavioral health challenges, the physical challenges that happen after combat, um, but we can't inject in transitioning service members and veterans the confidence. We can't inject the job skills. This is something that, that has to be gained and earned over time in a supportive environment. And we can either um, pay on the front end minimally or we can pay on the back end um, in a very um, a large way. And, and what I want to say about that is that these folks are service members who have um, not just earned our respect, um, they, they really have, have earned... Uh, from us as Americans um, that we owe them a good transition home from combat. It's really not enough just to put your yellow ribbon on the back of your car and to say, you know, thank you for your service and best of luck getting back to your family, getting back to the job that went away while you were in Iraq or Afghanistan for the fourth, fifth, or sixth time. It's not fair to drop them off in the civilian society without... Um, a safety net of skills and of the supportive environment and let them um, gain the confidence that they can succeed in a civilian environment. You know, this, this program, more than anything else I've seen, gives them the tools they need to transition. And it's something that we as American people should demand that Congress support. Laurie, you know, you bring up a critical issue. Here we are just having announced that Iraq is shutting down. We know that Afghanistan is on its way out. So we are basically going to be in a position where there will be a glut of veterans returning well, into the marketplace. Know, right. We already know there have been more than 2 million deployments, and these are often multiple deployments. So th this is not a small population that we're talking about, but, but what needs to happen is the Veterans Curation Project um, has to continue because it is a shining light. It is a 
um, life preserver thrown out at a, at, in a time when this is a tough economy, and veterans more so than anybody. You know, if you've been in Iraq or Afghanistan for the past eight or nine or now ten years that we've been in Afghanistan, if you've been fighting over there and you come back over here looking for work, it's tough. It's even tougher if there are additional issues, whether it's post-combat stress or pain management from your injuries. If you come back as a wounded warrior, either psychologically or physically or both or spiritually or all three, it's going to be even harder. And we owe it to these men and women to do our part as a community to make that transition the best possible. And that involves um, making sure they know that we value them, that we're not just handing them a disability check and saying, have a nice retirement, that we're saying, you matter to us and you still have something to contribute. And the Veterans Curation Project is the path to do that. Lori, is there anybody out there, are there any senators or congressmen congressmen have expressed a serious interest in this or who have gone out of their way to make sure that a program like this might continue? Is there any particular congressman that we, we should lobby or we should, we should go to? Well, uh, Congressman John Barrow from um, uh, Augusta, Georgia, he's, he's our congressman here, has been a terrific and strong advocate for the program. Um, there have been other uh, – we've had Republicans and Democrats sign on in the, in the House, and as uh, Dr. Trimble mentioned, it passed the House. So we had last year – we had the entire House behind this effort. Um, we didn't get off the Senate floor. The, the bill did not make it off the Senate floor. So the, I, what I would say is that um, no matter where you are within the sound of our voices, if you, if you have a senator or a congressman, which everybody does, everybody's got a congressman and everybody has two senators, email them and call them. And if folks feel like, you know, at this time in America, we all feel like, like how can one person make a difference? I know these senators' offices and these congressmen, these offices in Congress, they respond, the threshold is 10. They get 10 of anything, and they think it's a trend. If you can get, Joe, if you can get 10 or 15 or 20 of your folks in various states and jurisdictions, if you can get them picking up the phone, emailing, calling, they'll start to see a trend, and they'll want to know, what is this Veterans Curation Project? You know, how do we support it, and how do we take care of our troops? How do we do it? We make sure they get the training an employment program that helps them come all the way home from combat. Uh, real quickly, Kate, where should a veteran go to learn more to, about applying to the program, and are there any other VCPs hiring? Currently, the St. Louis facility, actually, as of today, is all filled up, but we are hiring in Augusta, Georgia right now, as well as in Alexandria, Virginia. So if you have an interest in applying, please email info at veteranscurationprogram.org. And for those of you that aren't archaeologists, curation is spelled C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N. Or you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Veterans Curation Project. And we're going to have to sort of wrap it up right here. I want to thank my guests, uh, Sonny Trimble, Lori Ott, Kate McMahon, and Cody Gregory for opening our eyes to this critical issue and the incredible way in which archaeology can contribute to the rehabilitation of veterans. It's obviously a major issue. Please turn to your congresspeople and ask them to maintain this program. 
Next week, we will examine the foundations of compliance archaeology and how the discipline has evolved from an avocation to a real vocation. We'll discuss the history of historic preservation and archaeological law and compliance with two individuals who have been instrumental in the design of implementation of legal guidelines for archaeology. My guests will be Dr. Tom King, former chair of the Advisory Council for Historic Preservation, and Dr. Lynn Sebastian of the SRI Foundation, a national authority on legal resolution of preservation issues. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and remember that your understanding of the past is a guide to a more promising tomorrow. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.